Welcome to In The Hunt Podcast. We will bring clarity to the complex game of golf. Start your path to better play today. This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida, and we welcome you to The Hunt. Welcome to this episode of In The Hunt. This is Brian Bailey here based in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney as always. Mark, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing good. It's nice to see the golf season here starting to uh, prepare to get fired up again. Um, sort of have some lessons. I know the uh, a Hurricane Tour has got uh, a tournament coming up in about 10 days or so, which is the first one I've heard of. Um, and then June and July, we'll get the, the pros going again. Yeah, it's about time. I, I wish the tour would have started sooner. Golf is perfectly made for social distancing, but, but you know, what do we know? We're just, we're just dumb golf coaches, right? Um, so, so today's episode, we're excited to have LPGA player Lindy Duncan. Um, Lindy uh, was a competitor of my team uh, when I was coaching at the University of Virginia, and she single-handedly made sure that we didn't win a lot of golf tournaments. Um, just kind of looking through, um, once again, a, a great uh, amateur player, junior player, uh, All-American all four years at the University uh, Duke University. I have trouble <laughs> saying that word. Uh, National Player of the Year, three times ACC Player of the Year. I thought it was really cool on her LPGA rec, uh, resume. In 2018, we call these ATM machine players, 27 events, 25 cuts. Oof. That's spectacular. And I'm making awesome. a prediction after her next event, she will actually have a career earning of over a million dollars, which is absolutely fascinating, making money at this wonderful game of golf. So, Lindy Duncan, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um, so, uh, we love uh, just this whole podcast is all about performance and just getting people to think about how to perform, whether that be on the golf course. Um, we talked with the Navy SEAL last week. Uh, so, again, it's just – performance and how things separate so I know uh the golf season's kind of crazy right now we started a season we ended the season we were going to start a season and they said ah, let's wait one more month so what how have you been preparing uh, what steps have you taken to get ready for the July start coming up yeah it's been a really weird time because we don't know what we're practicing for when we're going to start um so we've kind of had like two periods of time where we felt like okay we're gearing up for events that was the west coast swing in march and that didn't happen and then and then it happened again in june so we're i feel like we're all kind of like in limbo and we're not really sure we've never really been in this position um to kind of start the season kind of get some momentum going and then just totally have it stop so i mean I've had thoughts of let's take some time off to let's work really, really hard. And it's kind of been a range of thoughts <laughs> and I've kind of done a little bit of both. There's been, you know, a little bit of time taken off and also in the back of my mind, knowing that once we get started, it's going to be very, very busy with maybe hardly even an off season at all come the, you know, the holidays in the winter time. So you're trying to pace yourself, but you're trying to get better. You're trying to work on things that, you know, that you see from your stats that can really improve and you just try to kind of chip away at that um, day in, day out. But yeah, just kind of trying to not overdo it at this point because I literally have all day to just think about how to get better at golf and, um, you know, you can overdo it. So I try to like pull myself back, try to do some other things during this time too. So trying to find that median is a challenge. So what, what do you think you've done differently 
maybe in this off season period than you normally would on the way that you've laid out training. I know last year you were nursing injuries, so you're definitely not wanting to bring injuries back into the system. So what are you doing differently inside of your training right now to like target areas or, or to train differently to protect for injury, but also to make sure that you're refreshed, but ready to go when the season starts? Yeah, I would say I'm trying to find balance, you know, with everything. And that's always a little bit of a struggle because if I go out and play and don't like the way I'm hitting, you know, that's the only thing I'll think about for the rest of the day and working with you and talking with you and, and Mark about, you know, looking at the big picture and looking at the entirety of the game and how there's little, little things that you can do to chip away a half a shot here or there. And it doesn't just mean going to the driving range and beating balls. That's only going to do so much. So I would say during this time, I've been really trying to focus on the, and it's weird because it sounds so simple, but like the most fundamental parts of putting and, you know, just like putting speed, just trying to get, really dialed in with putting speed, especially from 10 to 20 feet. Because I noticed that when we started to work on some games, you know, to try to get that conversion rate up, I was noticing that a lot of the putts that I was missing were due to speed. And and I felt like that was the, I isolated the component that was holding me back from making more of those putts. So then it's like, okay, well, how do you get better at speed? And you try to figure out a way to have that, you know, practice that you do correlate to on course or in your games that you do that kind of simulate on course stuff. So that's been number one kind of on my, on my mind is, is those conversions. And then that turned into a speed component. And then I would say with the short game, it's been working a lot on the technique because I was using a technique that was a little hit or miss. I, I would say that's a nice way to put it. So um so I was kind of in between techniques for a while and now it's starting to kind of come around and starting to have some more consistent flights and spin and all that um and then the rest of it's just really for me just trying not to hit too many balls because that can uh definitely lead to injury and stuff so instead of hitting so many balls trying to play more I would say so those have been the things I've been thinking about all right yeah, I love, I love the fact that you're focusing on fundamentals um, because I, I see a lot of people, especially with this much time off where you're not under the gun of having to, to play every you know, week or every couple of weeks, where they start getting down to the weeds and starting any, getting into things that aren't necessarily helping them at all. And I always say, you know, if, you're, if your fundamentals are always strong, you really don't have to get down in the weeds. Um, yeah. And, and you're right about those 10 to 20 footers. And I had this conversation yesterday with, uh, with a player where – you know, the majority of your birdie chances come from 10 to 20 feet, not inside 10 feet. Well, you'll have two, maybe three around inside 10 feet and all the rest are longer. So if you want to get up to, you know, five to six birdies per round to win, you have to convert those, those putts. There's, right. there's no other option. You have to convert a fairly high rate at 10 to 20 feet. And I find it, especially with um, pro golfers like yourself, that the majority of misses are all speed misses. They're not, they're not really read misses or big stroke problems or they're 80 to 90% just the speeds a little bit off. And when you start doing assessments, it really, really highlights that. I think it becomes really obvious when you're doing assessments that, oh, the speed is the biggest issue here. It's not the only reason I miss, but, but it is the primary reason I miss. How has the, how has this extended period off um, 
been either better or harder for your game versus when you're in the full season and you're playing a lot of golf and you're maybe not don't have so much time to think about you know what right. you need to improve on you know what, what what's the what's what's good about it and what's actually more difficult about it do you find I would say the good things about it include um, if you need to make some type of technique change, like what I had to do with my chipping, you, it's really hard to do that in tournament setting week to week. It's almost like put a Band-Aid on it and try to make it work somehow. But if you're really trying to kind of break something down, and I kind of felt like for a week I, was, I didn't know how to chip. I was just starting over. I feel like that every I, time I play. <laughs> <laughs> <whole life>. no. <laughs> so yeah that you can't do that um in tournaments so um i would say that would be a plus if you have some things you need to kind of iron out really um do a lot of reps with um and then kind of the negative side is i don't really know exactly where my game's at like i feel like i've made improvements but you can't really know until you get into the tournaments under the pressure and you know, you can play matches or go play by yourself, but it's not the same. So I kind of, I'm really itching for, you know, to play in the competition. So I think that's for me, the hardest part is just not really competing in the same kind of way. Yeah. It's interesting. Chad said that uh, a couple of days ago, he said, you know, you can prepare as well as you can for, for the real deal, but it's never exactly the same. Just it's just not so you never really know till you get there. Uh, I, I yesterday somebody told me they had a club championship and they said there was like fifty tour players in their club championship because they were all and it's here in Orlando so they're everywhere right but but everybody was trying to just get in some sort of competition to just test their metal a little bit and see where they're at same same thing you're talking about right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When you have to make that three foot par putt that you've been sort of kind of like half given yourself when you're playing, you know, just with your right. friends or matters you know everything matters so it's a big difference I think and, and I love the fact you talked about kind of key skills like your, your your basic techniques the pieces that I have to have to be able to compete professionally like and then kind of Chad was really good on this and he also spoke about now once you get your key skills now you can start adding extra pieces to to glorify and make things even better but I think part of that right now too is the mentality um how, how are you uh, adjusting with or or telling yourself like you know i i talk with a bunch of different players and a lot of players go this is a blessing uh it's a blessing that we've shut it down because there was three four holes i really saw in my game or whatever and i had a chance to get things right or you know or and then i've heard actually talked to a couple others that are like this is the worst thing ever i'm ready to go i'm playing great had great first event two events i was ready then it all got taken so how are you juggling just the mentality the 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 stress of all the uncertainty, but also how do you view this as a, as a time off? Do you find it as a, as a blessing? Is it a curse? Is it, you know, like Mark, a little bit of both? Yeah, I think I, my instinct is it's a little bit of both, um, but it would, it is, you know, nice to look at the positive sides of it because there's nothing we can do about it. So to try to use the time to really get better, it's just, you guys know, once you get to this high level, you're, we're talking about, a quarter of a shot here and there over the course of five, four or five days. It's like, you know, it's very, very tiny stuff and it's hard to see, you know, you, you practice really hard for three weeks and you're like, wow, I, I made these improvements. And then, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly if you're not playing in a tournament to assess, you know, I could have done this better or actually I need to focus more here. Or, 
it's it's all just like chaos really that's a lot <laughs> we like chaos <laughs> we, we live in chaos. create chaos i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah i it, it, it's interesting because I, I can't wait for players to go back and compare what they're doing after the break to what they did before the break. You know, yeah. I think some players are are doing what you're doing and focusing on, uh, you know, there's, there's some technical things you need to change. You're giving yourself the time to change it and focusing on fundamentals. And I hear other players saying, oh, I'm just going to the range and beating balls and putting a little bit till it feels good. And then I go home, you know, so I think there's yeah. a real, big gap between people who are doing structured practice and development and people who are just kind of going through the, the motions of showing up at the range and spending an hour or two and then going home afterwards. And I, and I, I think it'll be a fascinating study come, you know, September, October to say, you know, who changed the most, you know, who got better, who degraded, who stayed the same. Um, and I don't think we know the answer right now. Yeah. I can't wait to see it myself. I want to read the study that you conduct because that I, would be I will do one actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> All this time sitting at home, I've got plenty of time to dig through numbers. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the, you know, that's everything. It's just um, when you're trying to score lower, you know, trying to figure out the components of your game that you can shave off and maintain the stuff that you do well. Um, that's a hard thing to do because, you know, everything that we try to do in practice, you know, I feel like, oh, I'm getting really good at practicing. And especially like maybe the last four or five years or so, I've been so focused on practice. And it's like you get on the course and you're in the, on the first hole and the ball is above your feet. And you're like, I've just been hitting on a flat driving range for an hour. And it's like, is that really, you know, so it's like um, just trying to f figure out little ways here and there that can your practice can correlate to, you know, to playing and then to playing under pressure. You know, there's like levels to all this, I think. Do you try to go to a lot of different golf courses? Because I did hear a player the other day say, you know, he plays a very difficult course down in Tampa and, you know, 71 is a great score, but then he goes to mini tours and you got to shoot 20 under over three days to win. And he gets, because he's playing a difficult course all the time, it gets, uh, he gets, you know, his, his mindset about what is good is not what it needs to be to win on the mini tours. You know, it's a very, very different game. Uh, right. Do you find the same thing? Do you try to mix up where you go play and you've got a lot of good golf courses where you are. Do you, do you, you know, try to do that as much as possible or do you stay in one spot? I usually stay in one spot, but I think it's helpful for me if I want to try to mix that up a little bit. I change the tees. Uh, like I played uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, 18 holes from the red tees. And it was really, really interesting because um, you've got to have a, a tight dispersion with your driver. And it really focuses on wedges and those conversions because you feel like, oh, I really want to go low. And, um, and then on the other hand, play all the way back from the back tees and you know that would be probably a lot of like hybrids and five woods into greens where it would put a lot of pressure on my short game and uh, those p6 conversions mm -hmm. so mix around the tees a lot i played a great course so i'm lucky in that they can put the pin in different parts of the green and it's a totally different hole and so i'm really lucky in that my course is just fantastic so if i mix up the tees it plays totally different Interesting. It's a great way to play. <laughs> it's a great way to practice. Um, yeah. 
So I, I always love asking this question. You, you, you've succeeded at the LPGA Tour. You were an unbelievable collegian, really highly achieved junior golfer. There's a lot of golfers that are going to listen to this, juniors, collegians. Uh, if, if you could go back and give yourself any advice from starting from when you first started playing golf all the way through college, even bouncing around the Symmetra for a little bit, getting on tour, what, what one nugget or two could you give yourself that would have made all these transitions simpler and made you even more prepared than you are today? Wow, that's a really great question. Oh, I want to have a good answer to that because uh, uh, we'll give you time okay. <laughs> oh my gosh wow um i would think that um wow you know there's so many different levels you know junior golf is so different than college golf and symmetra is so different than college but yeah i kind of hit like all the all the levels all the way up to the lpga so you know you kind of have to adapt to everyone you know, college golf is very different because it's team and, you know, NCAA, you got to abide by their rules. And there's just a lot of things that you have to do when you're in college that, like, I don't even think about, you know, right now. Like, I have all day. And in college, I feel like a big thing that was, you know, like, they were always about, like, time management. But really, your day is planned for you. So you don't – yeah, like – after you finish your workout class and your practice, which is like probably going to put you at like five or 6 PM, then you just have to manage your time until you go to sleep. Like it's not really working on time management. So I felt like when I got out of college, I thought that I was really good at like managing my time when really I was terrible at it. I was <laughs> off. I was off because I had to manage eight hours instead of just like a couple here or there. So um, I would say, yeah, like managing time is, is pretty huge because you only have so much energy. You want to, you know, optimize the energy that you have to really focus on, you know, the things that make you better and whatever that is. And I think that's totally different for everyone. Some people go out and play and they just play, 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 and they don't practice as much. And then I would be on the opposite end of that where I used to hardly ever play. And now I'm kind of more balanced, but you got to find, you got to find your path. You got to find, um, you know, the right people, you know, like I found Mark for putting and, you know, aim point has been huge for me and it's not for everybody, but i totally 100% believe in it that it's helped me so much to become better at putting. So you find those things and stick with them. I think maybe in, in my past, I kind of, I wavered a little bit too much or, like if I wasn't happy with my putting, I would, you know, blame aim point when really it's, it has nothing to do with aim point. You have to stick with, stick with what works. And um, I would say that's probably would have been my biggest advice to at least myself would be stick with what's working and, and don't go down too many rabbit holes and, and, you know, fundamentals, you know, those types of things. Golf has a lot of rabbit holes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Lindy, yeah. I find I find that when I talk to college kids, um, they're they're completely unprepared for what tour life is like. You yeah. know, like like I think they should have a class in being a tour player, but before they graduate college, because you know, and you went through graduating college, 
going through Symmetra, Q School, you know, and, and, and you know, it was a couple of years, I think, before you got full status and started yeah. as much as you want to start, right? And that's a hard time period. You know, I mean, my understanding is that's a really tough period. And I don't think people are prepared for that. You know, what, what is the hardest part about, you know, especially finishing, you know, college with your pedigree as a golfer and still having right. to wait a couple of years to get 20 starts? You know, right. how, do you, how do you get through that uh, mentally and, and emotionally? Well, you're totally right about everything you just said. And I would say mentally, I, I was always so frustrated in that period of time because I graduated from college and then my first tournament as a professional was the U.S. Open at Sabonic and I finished like 15th. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so ready for this. Let's go, you know, and then it's like you get on the Symmetra and every course, you know, is different. You've got to drive in between events. I was traveling by myself um, or with like other players and host family. It's a totally like 180 lifestyle change. And in college, like I'll be the first one to admit it. You're very, um, uh, what's the word? You, you're a little bit pampered, I would say, in college. They, they never discover that until after they leave college. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely. It's, uh, they yeah. don't think they're pampered until they get on some metro. They're like, I got to drive myself. <laughs> like, where's the van? Exactly. <laughs> where's the private jet? <laughs> <laughs> this is not how I thought this was going to go. So, yeah, it's dealing those kinds of things. And then, um, you know, for a lot of girls, it's the financial pressure because you're starting to get your career going. And it's like, you know, you, you can't really make a, a living on the symmetry. You're just trying to, to, uh, trying to survive you know, out there. Right. Exactly. So there's a lot thrown at you at once. And mentally I told myself that I was going to make it when I was ready. And if I didn't make it, that, there was something that I had to overcome to become ready because I felt like once I did make it, I was hopeful that I was going to be ready enough to stay out there and, you know, have a long career. And that's always been kind of like my dream is to, you know, be consistent and, um, you know, try to become one of the top players in order to get there. There's a lot of steps. So mentally that's how I dealt with it. And that really helped because I, I think that, um, it wasn't until I changed my perspective on that. Um, it was just all frustration. It was all anger. It was negativity. And then it would, and then it turned into, well, I'm not ready and there's reasons. So let me try to figure out those reasons. And that made, that made all the difference for me. Yeah. So, you, so basically stripping the emotion out of it and looking at it like, okay, there, there is a reason. It's not just bad luck or whatever. There's, there's a, a missing skill or there's right. a there somewhere that I don't have that I thought I had, but, you know, something that maybe worked great in college that suddenly you step it up to the next 1% of 1% of golfers and you still have to increase your skills to be competitive week in and week out. Absolutely. I mean, I'll be honest with you in college and uh, coach Brooks, I think would remember this. I basically aimed for the center of every green and my scoring average was like 72 for four years. And that's really good in college. Um, yeah. Once you get to Symmetra, it's not quite as good. And that's, I think I never made it through Symmetra. I finished like 12th on the money list both years, I think. So I was really close, but just not quite, you know, getting, getting to the place where I needed to be. Yeah. And we, we've seen from our a study we did just last week or the week before was that if you're an even par shooter, you can't survive on the LPJ. You yeah. have to be below par average, have to, you know, but then the crazy thing is you get to two under average and you're top 10 in the world. 
So there's That's- about a shot and a half gap between keeping your card and being top 10 in the world. It's, it's right. very thin margins. Yeah. And that, those, those little shots, you know, come on, uh, you know, your front nine on Thursday when you're nervous or when you're nervous on your back nine on Friday, when you're trying to make the cut and there's just all these little things that come into play. And it just seems like, you know, the, the best players in the world are the most focused, you know, just from Monday to Sunday, they're, on a mission and they know what they're going to do and they execute their plan. If it turns out great, if it doesn't, they just move on. And there's uh, it's just very professional and I needed uh, some years to learn that. And I'm still learning that. Yeah. I've noticed that with some of the really, uh, really good players I've worked with is that they are, they have a high level of focused, but uh, a lo- much lower level of emotion. Yeah. In other words, they don't really get super tense or angry or frustrated, but they, they get more and more focused on their task as the task gets more difficult yeah. know, without the emotional part of it or not as much as other people. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I know that from myself, the more focused I am uh, on the process and less, you know, the, the results is when I start to get emotional. So, you know, thinking about the outcome or worried about the outcome of the future, those things are never helpful. It's just, you know, what are you trying to do right now? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fascinating because uh, you talk about future outcomes. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been watching the Michael Jordan um, documentary or whatever, and they, they interviewed him the day before he shot, basically had the game winner against Utah for them to go win their third championship in a row. And the guy was sitting on the couch and he's asking him 20 different ways, like, what's your thought process before you take the game winning shot? And Jordan just kept ignoring him, kept ignoring him. And then looked at him and goes, why am I worrying about a shot? I haven't even taken yet. Yeah. You know, the mentality of I can't control that. I can't control what just happened. All I can control is what's going to happen inside that game at that minute. And I right. thought that was at, you know, best basketball player in the world, best athlete in the world. He's like, why are we even talking about this? This shot has never even happened. And that kind of goes back to what you said where, on the mini tours, especially on the women's side, there's not a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. that bankroll they're chasing, you know, week in, week out, trying to make money just to survive mm-hmm. week in, week out. And that mentality is just devastating. And yeah. I kind of love the fact that you said, Hey, I'm, you know, it's a training ground. It's for me to learn. And basically what you learn is you've got to know what you need to do to win to be your best player. And that's really what Symmetra tour is designed to be. It's painful. Yeah. But that's what it's designed to be. It's your stepping stone. And I think a lot of players that come into that use the wrong mindset with Symmetra. You're not going to get wealthy, but it's there to allow you to bridge that gap from collegiate or really good amateur to becoming a professional. It's like Mark said, and you, you know, one shot is basic best in the world to fighting for a card. Um, It's not, you know, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. So uh, I think it's absolutely, I love that conversation. Um, I guess uh, kind of thinking, thinking back as you came in, what, what area or two do you think was like you said you kind of reflected back? Um, what, you know, being a collegiate, hitting lots of greens and hitting in the middle of the green, what mindset has had to change professionally to kind of get you over that hump? What, what, what have you done to kind of close that gap or make, you know, hitting less middle of the greens? <laughs> Which is <laughs> – Yes. Bad way to win a golf. A great way to level. shoot par. <laughs> yeah, a great way to shoot par. Bad way to win at golf. At this not, level. It's not a great way to go 20 under. <laughs> That's a good way to play the U.S. Open, and I like the U.S. Open for probably – There that. you go. <laughs> it all makes sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Especially Sabonic. They've got some pretty wicked greens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, it's you are trying to make birdies and be more aggressive, but I've never been able to, like, step on the tee box and be like, this is a birdie hole, and I'm going to birdie this hole. It just – that doesn't work for me. So um, it's it's all just shot by shot, just trying to get every shot as optimal as you can. And I would say that I've definitely had to shift my mindset from um, on the green is good to, okay, on the green actually might not be that good because I might have a 50-foot putt and that's prime three-putt territory. Um, so playing a little bit more offense, and that's something that I've – I've definitely had to work on um, by trying to tighten the thresholds. You know, a seven iron to 40 feet is, you know, on a really windy day or whatever from a hard lie, that's, that's fine. But, you know, in just everyday normal conditions, that's not going to be good enough um, all the time. So just trying to get your, your good shots just a little bit better. Um, and, yeah, I just try to tighten up that threshold. I've noticed recently that, you know, my distance control was pretty good, but the accuracy was was maybe more of an issue, Where, whereas in the past, I think it was actually the opposite. There was um, some mishits that were coming up short right, and, uh, you know, it's, it all, it's all, always changing. It's, you know, it's back to that chaos. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you can't get good enough at putting, um, and I've learned a lot you know, from Mark with, with the putting stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's all a process. This is a great game. It is always changing. That's the, the one thing I can guarantee is this game changes day in, day out, week in, week out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, The proximity, I did, I did a game with somebody once, you know, when you talk about proximity matters a lot, you know, 16 feet versus 20 feet on approach shots. And if people don't think that go do a putting contest with somebody and hit 10 putts, and one of y'all hit – one person has eight-footers and the other hits 12-footers, and it is really hard to beat the person hitting eight-footers. Yeah. Really hard. You know, just even three feet of difference in there. I mean, it, it, it matters when you're trying to convert, you know, five to six birdies. Yeah. Um, it matters, yeah, for sure. Well, it goes back to – I think you were talking about this, Mark, that the closer you get to the hole – the less all of those little components have to be like perfectly synced up. So you can kind of get away with a little bad speed here or there, but from that, you know, 15 to 20 foot, you've got to be dialed in. Oh yeah. You've got to be, I think less than a half degree off at 20 feet to, to make the putt. I mean, everything's got to be accurate to, I think it's half degree. I think it's one less than one degree from 10 feet and half of that from 20 feet. So it's, you know, that's, that's why the make rates are so low, but that's also where, where you can really um, move ahead of the pack. If you're good 10 to 20 feet, you, know, you don't have to be great, but if you, you know, if you're 10% better than everybody else, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And I, I'd say that in the past few years, I didn't think it was possible to make, you know, that many putts from 10 to 20 feet. I just was like, get it close, <laughs> don't free putt. But yeah. it, it is actually possible, you know, when you, I mean, you've done all the stats and, and you guys know that there's some really amazing putters out there that, you know. Yeah. Well, what amazes me is that, you know, on average, PJ Tour average, they're doing 30% in that range. And people always think that's not right. And I'm like, no, that, that is what they do on average. And the winners are doing 40 to 60% there. You know, so, I mean, you're not, nobody's going to do that week in and week out at 40%. But that's what 
when the winners have a really good week that that they're converting that high or I've seen as high as, you know, 58 to 60% for the week. You know, that's mind blowing when you actually think about that. Um, but that is what they do, you know, and, and if you want to, if you want to be, you know, play with the best in the world and, and challenge them, that's, that's what you've got to get done. That's the only way you're going to be making a lot of birdies. You're not going to be making them from hole outs and chip ins very often. You've got to convert those 10 to 20 footers. Yeah. But putting gets a lot more fun when they start going in, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Golf gets a lot more fun when they start going in a lot more often, too. Um, yeah. So uh, kind, of a, uh, kind of a question I always ask players, because players are always really good at judging themselves against other players. Like, I love what X player does. X, I love what Y player does. Um, when, when Lindy's walking through the locker room at a tour event and she just walks right past everybody, what are the other girls saying about Lindy Duncan? Man, I wish I could do this. Mm, I don't know. I think everybody out there hits it pretty straight, but I don't hit it into too much trouble. I would say I kind of just blink it down there pretty good, try to hit fairways and greens. I would say that that would be kind of like my strength is – um, ball striking, greens and regulation. I think, I think I'm pretty decent with that. All right. Well, you got to be a little statistically you be okay. Your driving accuracy is good statistically, right? I mean, you're up above seventy percent, something like that. Yeah, I would. I think that the driving accuracy stats for the LPGA are crazy high. Like, like eighty-five, ninety percent is like number one or something, which is like Ooh. almost every fairway. Which is that's worth looking up, actually. <laughs> That's a lot of fairways. <laughs> um, Marina Alex hits a ton of fairways. Um, I've played with her a bunch over the years, and it's just she doesn't really miss a fairway. It just doesn't seem like. Yeah, the leader's at 84%. Oof. That's a lot. That's a lot of fairways. You'd never see that on the uh, on other tours, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Marina's at 81%. Yeah. So, I mean, if you hit the fairway that many times, you have a lot of opportunities. Because I would say probably a, a big difference between the men's and the women's game is maybe, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but when we hit it into deep rough, like if we're at a major championship and we hit it into deep rough, there's really no chance to get it to the green. Um, we're kind of probably just trying to get it close to the green, I would say, depending on the length of the shot, whatever. But really deep rough is a huge penalty for us and you know we don't see a ton of that but because they're making the courses longer instead i think but um yeah, it's kind of interesting yeah kpmg played long uh last year didn't i think that was the longest one of the year and was their rough a little bit heavier than normal because i remember yeah. the, the scoring was difficult there yeah hazel team was rough yeah. yeah that was a that was a great course and they set it up perfect but yeah, it was long and uh, you hit it in the rough and you're just hacking it out. Yeah. Chopping the broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, look, we're looking at about 40 minutes here. So uh, we're going to go ahead and want, start winding down. Uh, one thing we always like to do with anybody that's new to our program is we like to hit them with a couple questions at the end. Usually I'm prepared for this, but I am totally not prepared today. So Mark will be helping me and we're going to start winging it. So these are just Rapid fire questions. Uh, Mark and I will fire back and forth about five questions. And uh, just to learn a little bit more about Lindy Duncan. How's that sound? Great. All right. You ready? Ready. 
<laughs> Don't look scared. It's terrifying. Golf is much harder than this question, I promise. <laughs> All right, ready? Cat or dog? What do you uh, prefer? Oh, good, good. Yeah. This will actually Brian's, air. If you would have said cat, I would just hit delete. So that's that's Brian's go-to question. I figured he was going to ask it. So I... <laughs> All right. What was your favorite cartoon growing up as a kid? Gosh, I didn't watch cartoons. What? I, Rugrats. I, that's the only one I can think of. Rugrats. <laughs> that shows how young you are. Mine was like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's see. Uh, what is what is the movie that would stop you in your tracks? No matter what you were doing, you'd sit down and watch it. Mm, Harry Potter. <laughs> we definitely know her generation. <laughs> no kidding. Right? All right. Tell us a largely unknown fun fact about yourself that most people don't know. Largely unknown. Um, gosh. <laughs> hmm. Remain unknown. <laughs> I, I like music a lot. I think people know this, but I can actually play music. Most people don't know that. Oh, really? I, what kind of instrument? I can play a little keyboard. I can play a little guitar. I don't do it a lot because it's, I'll do it like for two hours and then my fingers will hurt and that's not good for golf. But um, yeah, I can play music, and I like—I wow. really like it. I just—I just don't do it that much. Your inner hippie is coming out. Yeah. <laughs> I actually just today got my my dad's nineteen forty four piano retuned. Oh. I haven't been tuned in fifteen years. And the guy came and tuned, and he goes, "The entire thing is out of tune." He goes, "There's not one single key that's <laughs> that's even working properly." <laughs> You're like, "It's work. okay. I don't know how you to play work. it." I'm pretty psyched about that, actually. Uh, that's awesome. All right, Lindy. Um, if you had to describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Mm. <laughs> that's <fine>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's the perfect word. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say uh, I could be pretty goofy. Like I like I like to laugh. I think people, most people, think I'm very serious, which I definitely can be. But so goofy. Um, and then. I would say passionate. Yeah. I like the things I like. Nice. That's cool. two. And, and All right. I got one more. What, <laughs> what, is, um, what is the most common nickname you've had during your life? So my family's always called me a nickname, but it's embarrassing. I don't think I'm going to share it. Um, but I go by like Lynn's or Lynn or um, my – uh, college coach Jeannie Cho called me Dunkaroo. I really like that one, but she's like oh, the only Dunkaroo. one. Dunkaroo. Yeah. I know Jeannie. Jeannie, yeah, she's the best. But I think that was probably my favorite one was Dunkaroo by Jeannie. Oh, All right. And what remember you, that forgot, next time what, I see you. I forgot. What did, you, what did your family call you? I forgot. I didn't hear that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most common one. Like I still answer to it, but I don't think we're going to go. <laughs> very good uh well we want to thank you for spending time with us today uh in the hunt uh we appreciate you uh and we want to wish you the best of luck once 2020 golf season kicks off um thank everybody for joining us in the hunt and make sure you keep sending us ideas and, and uh topics you want to hear and thank you for joining the hunt thank, thank you guys you. thanks lindy thank you thanks, lindy.